Hey, who made you with this, Jackie? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlands podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 126, and do me a favor, will you? Keep your expectations kind of low this week. <laughs> well, that's a heck of a way to kick things off. <laughs> just uh, don't, don't go expecting you know magic. We'll do the best we can. Just just open up with, hey, folks, we're planning on a mediocre show. Just <laughs> phoning it in today. No, that's <laughs> absolutely not the case. But man, it was an interesting Saturday night. <laughs> it sure. Was, well, it's a, I'm learning these uh, with the new day job. These on-call Saturdays are just pure fucking hell, just <laughs> awful. And for whatever reason, I, I understand the reasoning behind it, but they don't start doing anything until eight o'clock, and everything always runs late. So by the time I have to potentially get involved, it's eleven thirty, midnight, one in the morning. And unlike last time, it went off kind of without a hitch, but. <laughs> when you sign off at one o'clock in the morning, it's like, okay, it's beer o'clock now. <laughs> uh, bad things are probably going to happen to you. You don't say. I didn't stay up until sunup this time around, but uh, well, that, was, I was, that was conservative of you. Yeah, I was a stone's throw from it. <laughs> I could kind of, I could kind of smell it from where I was, but I, I decided to do the right thing and say, you know, it's four thirty in the morning. I don't think I need three more beers in daylight. Why don't I? Why don't I just take a little nap on the couch? Yeah, you weren't there this morning. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, wasn't there this morning. <laughs> yeah, well, Amanda is a goddamn trooper. Uh, number one, she's smart enough not to say, you know, I'll stay sober with you. And no, fuck that. This is my problem if I'm on call. So I started drinking at like 7 o'clock with the full intention of I'm just going to drink myself to bed by about midnight because I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, except you really, you, we develop a team spirit. It's true. You, you just want to stay and keep me company. I just marathon right along. Yeah. <laughs> right up until the complete physical and emotional collapse. It was mostly just physical this time. Yeah. it's uh, <laughs> well, there, there was some, some spillage, but... Uh, some it, leakage. <laughs> no, that sounds worse, actually. That is very, very different. <laughs> that sounds worse. Very different. And that's not something we want to some admit splashing. to on the public internet. <laughs> Even that's kind of dicey, but uh, I'll give you credit. You hung right in there until about two in the morning with me. When my legs decided they no longer worked. (laughs) Well, that's all right. Which was a shock to me getting up from my seated position. (laughs) It was a shock to me when... I fell into your knee. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, no, not my knee. This is quite a surprise, but that's not how it worked out. No, no. So yeah, it's it was yet another epic heroic Saturday night through no fault of our own, but we kind of knew it was coming because of the on-call thing. The good news is I don't think that's happening for another X number of weeks. Yay! But unlike last time, we're actually in a position where we can actually function and do the show. I know. Um, we had to do it in sort of a rudimentary fashion. It was a slow start. Well, it was... Uh, we. We talked about two or three potential topics for this, and with every single one of it, it came, yeah, but you're on call. So, uh, yeah, everything came back to, huh, the tick is out on Amazon pilot season. That's a 30-minute commitment, and we could probably do something about that. Yeah, I I wasn't actually aware that it was a pilot season thing. I did Pilot season apparently is they're going to put out three, four pilots and then have their Amazon Prime members vote on which one moves forward to a full season yeah actually the the it's there are three of them 
Uh, the Tick is one of them, uh, and it debuted on Amazon Prime on August 19th, so Friday before last, mm-hmm. along with uh, a couple of others. Uh, the other luminary selections that uh, <laughs> that the users of Amazon have a, are uh, I Love Dick. Which is a Kevin Bacon vehicle. Yes. <laughs> which makes me terrified. Uh, and uh, Jean-Claude Van Johnson starring, go figure, Jean-Claude Van Damme, mm. although... Doing some Van Johnson is a very different concept than doing some filthy. Van Damage. That sounds filthy. That's even more filthy than leakage or, or yeah. splashing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those, those are the three that, that are available. And kind of the deal is they're, they're actually... The pilots are not just available to Amazon Prime members, although it is the 21st century and malls are dying all around us. Mm. And <laughs> almost everybody has an Amazon Prime membership anyway. If you don't, you can go to uh, Amazon.com slash pilot season and you can watch all of the pilots. I don't give a shit about I Love Dick or, or Van Johnson. Yeah, I don't think the world, after Time Cop, <laughs> I don't think the world needs another uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle. See, there's part of me that's saying, don't you dare diss Time Cop. But n- no, that's probably safe. <laughs> I think he could have gone out on that note. I <laughs> Yeah, he probably could have been executed with a 44 <laughs> Magnum. And that's a wrap for Jean-Claude Van Damme. Boom! Yeah. But what do I know? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a student of the finer 80s action oeuvre. <laughs> Is that a, that's a word, right? Sure. Or is that French for egg? I fuck that up sometimes. Yeah, I think that's oof. Okay. I only took four years of high school like, French. Like beef is boof. <laughs> and, uh... Boofinuff. <laughs> That's yeah. the shittiest superhero team I've ever heard. Yeah, they totally get beat up by the Arthur by Arthur and the Tick. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, yeah, so we decided yes, what we would absolutely be able to handle this week is is the Tick, and you and I both, being from New England to to start with, we have kind of potentially a longer history with the Tick than than a lot somewhat, of people. Yeah, somewhat. Do yeah. Do you want to fill the the listening public in on that? Well, it's it debuted from New England Comics, which. It's New England Comics publishing technically, but New England Comics is just a chain of comic book stores in New England, in Massachusetts. <laughs> basically, there was a, the store in Brockton is where Ben Edlin did his initial sketch that got put on the wall, and the, the store in Brockton was one of my main comic stores. That was a cool thing about being a comics fan with a freshly printed new driver's license. In the late 1980s. And no sense of, like, self or safety that you would drive to Brockton? Oh, I, I had a sense of safety. I did it anyway. <laughs> I, look, the tick is the finest thing to come out of Brockton unless you have a discerning taste in opiates or methamphetamines. <laughs> Brockton has a reputation as a, a place to go to uh, buy your substance of choice and or be, comics. be killed doing it. <laughs> And, and comics, they had, New England Comics had an excellent comic store there. But I mean, that was the cool thing. And people don't really get that. You know, we're talking about malls dying, but you know, comic book stores, we're lucky. We have a couple that are really in close distance. We got our main store. Yeah. But back in the eighties, you know, I lived in southeastern Massachusetts and yeah, we had our main store that was just open a few days a week that I, I swear to God, I think it was just called comic books and collectibles. Mm. Like that was the exciting name to drag people in off the street. Okay. Like if you didn't know it was there, you didn't go there and it didn't have the best selection, but it was close by and you could go after school. Okay. But there was also Starship Excalibur down in Providence, Rhode Island. We did that one a lot. Uh, and then yeah, New England comics in Brockton was one of my main stores because they, they would have, 
trade paperback sales. Like every oh, two for one. So it's all right, everybody get in my car and drive over there and just load up, you know, with my big grocery store job money. See, at least you had one in your town. I, I, we had spinny racks at, at the, the local package store. And <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I didn't have one in. I, this is the next town over. Was, okay. was the little one. So even that one, I had to drive a little yeah, see, bit. Because otherwise, we had to go to Worcester, and it was uh, on Main South, which was also kind of like taking your life into your hands. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that far from Clark University, but Clark hadn't really started gentrifying the neighborhood at all. So you were about five blocks from Piedmont Street or something like that, which is where the uh, the the local ladies like to hang out and charge money for acts that are illegal. So you're saying it was the Brockton at Worcester? <laughs> There's a lot of that in Worcester. It's, it wasn't just there. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there were just, there were, God, comic book stores everywhere. Like as the boom, as the Batman movie was coming out and the, the boom was cranking up. I mean, just, yeah, going down to Providence, you could, you know, spend an afternoon, do Bob City Comics, to Starship Excalibur, to there was one right in the arcade there. And so, yeah, I was just in and out of this store that the tick debuted in. Yeah, it's, I don't even know if the tick got, any kind of national distribution before the cartoon came out in 1994. I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. I became aware of the property because of the cartoon show rather than the comic. So I, I, back, I backed into the comic. Right. Well, the, the cartoon. <laughs> the cartoon was how um, I, I kept some students that I was working with entertained on Fridays because it was like, if you do work Monday through Thursday, I promise I will bring in. So I, w- I would videotape um, <laughs> like the previous week's Tick and X-Men when the, when the X-Men had their TV show. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, Here, here's how we're placating you on Friday. Yeah, Fox Kids was excellent hangover cure for about two or three years <laughs> in the mid-1990s. And I checked the calendar today. The Tick cartoon was part of one of the more perfect days in my life. And I've got, <laughs> I got the date. It's October 15th, Ooh. 1994. All right. And I was visiting college buddies. And it was a year after I graduated. And it had just a crippling hangover. We were just destroyed. And got over the the hangover in part because... Yeah, we put on, it was the, the fifth episode of the Tick cartoon, the Tick versus El Seed. I remember that episode. Yeah, it debuted on that morning, and it, we're all just chugging two liters of like Diet Coke, trying to function and weakly giggling at the Tick. It had the great line, I feel funky, monkey funky. <laughs> Is that that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, later that night after the hangover broke, a couple of us went to see Pulp Fiction, which had opened <laughs> the day before. So that was just like... And then we got hammered again. So it's like, <laughs> if they're just key, wow, everything worked out days. Yeah, the, the tick was part of it. I, I, I watched that show. I loved that show. Um, it was around that period of time. Actually, a friend of the show, Lance, gave me my own bounding tick action figure. Just did, it, <laughs> did it bound? No, but it was a well-meaning gift. I mean, you, the way it was supposed to work was its torso was spring-loaded. So you had a trigger that you would pull on the back and then you would let go and it would seemingly bound. Except that in practice, what happened was you would pull down on the trigger in the back and it would fall over. <laughs> 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 that, I think, was done on purpose. That's about as tick as I can think of. I think there was also a board game I was in possession of, a tick board game at the time. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. yeah, I think you were probably more into it than I was. See, I like the original comics, uh, like the original Bed Endland ones. I kind of yeah. tuned out after that because it did, it, it reached a point of, said, uh, I don't want to talk too much about it because we'll, we'll get into it because, yeah, the, the various adaptations over the years, th- this is kind of a different one, uh, a little bit in certain ways that they're doing on Amazon right now. But okay. 
so yeah, I mean, the, the tick has just always sort of been around, at least uh, for us, because we were just in the right area where we could get it. Mm. All right. So my initial impressions of this, this pilot were, uh, everybody knows like the, the big tick stuff. You yes. Know, screaming spoon, uh, the big goofy superheroics and the weirdly earnest speeches with stilted wording. And that's really not what this is, is about. This is a much darker, more realistic, still funny. Yeah. Yeah. Although they did keep certain things intact. <laughs> Such as the the speeches and the weirdly articulating antennae that somehow on the suit appear to be alive. Yeah. Even though he's wearing a suit. Or is he? Well, <laughs> is he even there? That's that's a whole different question. Yeah. But uh, what were your initial impressions? Of this of the show? Yeah. I mean, I, I liked it. We'll, we'll go into some specifics, but anything leap out that you want to start out with or... Well, it's it was the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy whose last name I can't pronounce, um, and, and whose name I didn't write down because again, we're I'm not at my best today. <laughs> Peter uh, Seraph, something or other. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so every every time he opened his mouth and, and like tick speech came out, that was almost Pat, Patrick Warburton esque, who is a, an executive producer on this, I believe. He would open his mouth, say his tick speech, and I kept waiting for him to say, "What a bunch of a holes." <laughs> Oh, you... what a bunch of a holes! Yeah, that guy. <laughs> I didn't realize that was that guy. It was that guy. All right. <laughs> yeah, good completely he's... transformed once he put on the suit. Uh... Yeah, I, I had no clue. So I don't have a clue about much today. I'm really not firing on every <laughs> cylinder. Do I'm you sorry. feel monkey funky? I I I feel funky. <laughs> I, I I felt feel better. So funky. Look, I'm sorry. I'll refund everybody's money. How's that sound? <laughs> In the meantime, let's just plow through this. Do you have bounding action? Uh, I don't have any action. So if I right pull now. down on your back, you'll just fall over. Please don't pull down on my back. <laughs> don't don't pull down on anything right now. I'm I feel like I'm full of broken glass. Everything hurts so much. Um so in any event, um I watched the show and what I recognized in it to a certain degree was a level of, of darkness that I equated more to the early comic book. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And and that's not a bad thing because I think given um how the television show, the the original animated cartoon was its own thing and then the the cult impassioned following that sprang up around the other attempt at the live action one, it, yeah. it's going to have to do a lot to differentiate itself and become its own thing with its own following. Well, that's I don't think it necessarily would have to. It could have done what the cartoon did and what the Patrick Warburton show did. It's just yeah, we could we'll just do big broad humor and you know, just a wink and a nod at all superhero. Yeah, but you know. you've you've got this opportunity to work on this alternative media platform. I mean, cuz now we've got, you know, Netflix and Amazon delivering their own television programming. So you don't necessarily have to bow down to the same standards and practices as network corporate. Oh, and they made it clear it's definitely not for kids. I think the fifth word that was spoken in the show was shit. <laughs> yeah, so I right think out so. of the gate, this is a. There are no bounding, uh, bounding action, uh, action figures. So there, well, there might be. There might be. <laughs> there might be uh, medication taking Arthur. Yeah. Oh, if there was an Arthur that like his head like tilted back like a Pez dispenser for Prozac, that would be glorious. <laughs> glorious um in any event i <laughs> i liked the 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 darkness that i got from it and i thought that it was crafted in such a way that 
yeah, they they definitely were like, okay, so if you want more, we're leaving you on this really big cliffhanger. So you, you know, if you want to know what comes next, you have to go in and vote. And I did. <laughs> yeah, it's a when you go to the website, even if you're not a member, they have a survey that you can fill out and just talk about individual shows. So that's what I wound up doing. At some point, I'll log in with my Amazon Prime. And- yeah, and I probably completely screwed them up because later on, if you go all the way through it, they ask if you want to stick around and answer some other questions about television shows and they ask you like what your three favorite TV shows are. Yeah, I did that and that fucked me up so much. <laughs> yeah, and so I, I don't know. I watch a lot of TV. So I think I put Buffy, Angel, and Miami Vice. So they're very confused about like what demographic I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, fuck that i put i put twin peaks breaking bad and wkrp in cincinnati oh yeah you you broke them but, but the problem is the next question they ask is I should oh, put soap in there that would have been awesome too but what the next question they say is okay how does the tick stack up against this i'm like these are three classic fucking television shows and i had to be honest i'm like no, the tick is not as good as twin peaks for fuck's sake well, I, I put down that i i figured that the tick probably was could be as good as Miami Vice, but you're going to have to go a long way to convince me that it's going to be, well, all right, Buffy up through <laughs> season five, and then after that there are some issues. But all of Angel, because I can watch the finale over and over, and it always makes me cry. So, <laughs> Yeah, but season four with uh, Connor? <sighs> There's no season four. <laughs> There's seasons one, two, three-ish. Okay. And then it, then it goes straight to five. I, numerically, it doesn't make sense, but I embrace it in that sort of Lovecraftian, non-Euclidean math. Kind of way. <laughs> Non-Euclidean television <laughs> scheduling. <laughs> yes. Jesus Christ. I, it is weird. Yeah, it's uh, we always sort of joke about uh, what Godfather three, what uh, what Indiana Jones four. But yeah, with certain TV shows, you you got to say, oh, I must have gone into a fugue state for a year because because yeah, I don't remember a season season four of season Angel. Four. No. Yeah. Is that it, the puppet season? <laughs> I think they stomped on their own dick with that. It's like, oh, well, hope somebody will say that somehow the tick could be better than Breaking Bad. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, Um, why not? uh, In its own way, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, it it definitely had a a darker feel to it. It's not even a darker feel. A lot of the elements were there. Like the old civic-minded five was there. Yes. Except Except that they were defeated by weaponized syphilis. Uh, well, <laughs> they came out they, they crashed their ship and there's some more more details around that and came out of it stumbling around with their eyeballs bleeding because the weaponized syphilis had made them go blind yeah but you know what the weaponized syphilis i'm like okay that's kind of old school tick it's a little more adult but it's still yeah. that silly and but no what followed that was they came out blind and two of them were shot in the head and executed yeah and then the and other one, one of them had his hands crushed in, so, in front of a young Arthur. Yeah. Who, and, and whose father had just died because the ship, as it fell out of the sky, fell on his father. So it's, it's this weird, like, qua- it's not really Batman. It's like Batman. <laughs> and, no, it's, it was, it's supposed to give you that, like, oh, Bruce Wayne watched his parents die before his eyes because of evil villain. But yeah, this is over the top and with a cherry on top. Well, I hadn't really. What struck me was, yeah, if you look at like the Tick cartoon, and yeah, it was it, Arthur was just a dude with a midlife crisis and a suit that he bought at a garage sale. Yeah, you know, just saying, wow, stuff happens around the Tick, and it's exciting, and I would like to have a more exciting life. In this show, it's no, my father died in front of my fucking eyes, and I've been traumatized, and I've been hearing voices my entire life, 
And yeah. So it's a, a much darker, but I hadn't considered it as sort of a comment on the Batman origin. But if, if you think about it, yes, if somebody was going to be affected by their parents' murder basically by a supervillain in front of your eyes to the point where it has made you obsessed as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, maybe millions of dollars would have a difference, but no, you'd probably be on 14 medications and you know, constantly on the ragged edge of being pulled in for 72 hours of observation. Be, be an adult who still has a legal guardian assigned to them. Yes. Well, I mean, because he had also made statements in, in the show right before his father's death that he wanted to be a superhero. And then his father dies and he is so emotionally crippled by the event that, yeah, he starts to hear voices. There becomes this question, is the tick real? Because the voices sound an awful lot like the voice of the tick. <laughs> we, we do get a flashback to Arthur's, it's far too late to say this now, we're going to spoil, spoil the, the shit out of, out of this. But <laughs> yeah, we do get a flashback to, yeah, Arthur's nightlight talking to him and it sounds exactly like the tick. And there's up to a point a legitimate question as to whether the tick is even real in this show. Yeah. They, they make a point of showing Arthur trying to look him up after, you know, nobody sees their initial meeting. They make a point of having him try to look him up on the superhero database because, I mean, shit, if there were really superheroes in this world, we've got a movie database. For God's <laughs> sake, we'd have a superhero database. And he doesn't show up anywhere. The henchmen say they, they were defeated when they when they talked to their boss by a big blue guy. But who's to say that that was really the tick? Yeah, look, in a world with superheroes, you can do anything. Yeah. It could easily be, you know, Arthur at some point developed a superpower and is projecting Can project his but it, imaginary friend <laughs> but it's a very completely different view of the tick than any of the including yeah the original kind of somewhat dark i think it's a long way to go to call the original tick issues from ben edlin dark no but ben edlin did write and is a producer on this show oh yeah he, a, so he wrote this pilot yeah if anybody wants to scream, that's not the tit. No, the the kid from Brockton wrote it. Yeah, it's it's his. <laughs> it's his vision. Whether you agree with it because you're a bigger fan of the. Ironically, he was a writer also on Angel. <laughs> oh yeah, on Angel, on Fire. I just thought of that now as I was giving Amazon like my favorite shows. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so he's had a piece of it. Yeah. But again, nothing this good should come out of Brockton. <laughs> well, no, it's also amazing. You know, he's got some experience writing for TV, and he's had some time now to to sit with his own property and think about how that would play out for television. Yeah, no, absolutely. People grow up and change. I mean, not me. I'm still drinking like October 15th, 1994 <laughs> as we speak. As we no speak. No matter what happened to me last night, it's like I'm just finally starting to feel better. <laughs> I'm a paragon of health. Thank you, Berkshire Brewing Company, Steel <laughs> Rail Ale. I may or may not still be drunk from last night. <laughs> well... We can guarantee it. Let me, let me pause on this. And overall, the, the tone was far more, I hate to say realistic in a world of superheroes and weaponized syphilis. And the villains in the Tick cartoon, uh, and, and even the comic book, even, you know, back to the, the earliest days of it were always goofy. Yeah. Whereas the terror in this, you know, he's funny. You know, that little trick of what's behind your ear? Oh, nothing. And then he drinks the kid's ice cream. And, <laughs> but 
he's still terrifying. The the point ice cream, which had melted and therefore turned into a milkshake, and he drank it all up. Oh, come on now. I'm one of the few people in the world didn't like that movie, so don't even, <laughs> don't even bring that up. There was a darkness to it, and yeah, in its own way, I think what Edlin might be going for, yeah, not to say the darkness of the first five or six issues of The Tick, because I don't think it was particularly dark. There were a couple of dark moments, but I think he's trying to make this more of what The Tick originally was, which was really a parody of comic books mm. more you know particularly Frank Miller-esque comic books as was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when it first came out right which then became something very different as time went on as did the tick yeah <laughs> but but yeah I mean if you look at those first you know, original issues it's yeah the tortured internal monologues that only became goofy by the fact that they were over the top yep you know, the, yeah ninjas all over the place. I mean, clear, look, there was a character, Oedipus, who was supposed to be fucking Electra. It was clearly a direct parody. Right. The, the parody idea with the ninjas in the original books was, the concept was, and if you weren't alive in the 80s to see just ninjas everywhere, um, ninjas were everywhere in the 80s. You couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a ninja. It's true. Ironically, uh, they were supposed to be able to disappear, but dead cat would get them. But... <laughs> Depending on who wielded the dead cat, I think. I guess. But <laughs> I, I was always pretty good. I don't know. I'm not on my best behavior today. <laughs> but uh, in the book, the the gag was that, yeah, since ninjas had become so popular, you were getting kind of substandard candidates just to keep the ranks <laughs> filled up. So the, the ninjas all kind of sucked. They weren't that good. And that's how you get Bob from Hydra. <laughs> exactly. It's very similar. But yeah, the most powerful moment in the first arc was as all these incompetent villains are going around, and yeah, they're being led by uh, a guy who runs uh, Ninja World, I think it yep, was, Ninja World. who was supposed to be basically Walt Disney, <laughs> except with ninjas. But where it actually gets dark, and one of the most powerful moments in those original issues, and I know this because I reread the, that arc this morning preparing for this show. It doesn't sound like I'm prepared for today's show. I actually did some shit. Yeah, I know. I but, saw you reading and everything. You've got notes. I know. I was whimpering while I was doing it, but I, I read. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a point where one of these ninjas actually stabs Oedipus. And then, yeah, there's a legitimate superhero silhouette anger moment of the tick behind him. And uh, as he deals with the ninjas and is walking down the street with Oedipus in his arms saying that this isn't fun anymore. It's, uh, yeah. it, it was clearly to me, Edlin saying, you know, yeah, okay, all this dark superhero stuff. Oh, it's interesting. But if that actually happened, there's no real fun in that, that kind of world. That's right. absolutely awful. That's nobody would want to live here. No, I mean, the, the book was a comment on, you know, when people talk about like, oh, everything was grim, gritty, dark. Well, no, there was the tick <laughs> that was trying to comment on it. Yeah. And Teenage Mutant Ninja yeah. Turtles. I still have a soft spot for that first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arc. After that, I cut it off. <laughs> I have no interest after about the first four issues. And I haven't reread those, uh, Jesus, in 20 years at this point. That's okay. Uh, look, you can only live so long with, you know, that Heroes in a Half Shell song every Saturday morning before, no matter what merit there had to have been. Yeah. Yeah. It went away. What I'm kind of thinking is, when the Tick comic came out, it couldn't have possibly occurred to anybody, particularly to start with, that this character would go anywhere beyond some comic stores. Yeah. Again, New England Comics, it's a string of comic stores. I think this is the only book they ever published. 
I mean, and, and ancillary tick books like Paul the Samurai and yeah. Man Eating Cow and Chainsaw Vigilante. And Man Eating Cow is awesome. Man Eating <laughs> Cow is a pimp. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's not like they said, okay, what's our next property? No, they latched onto this and with both hands and put out as much as they possibly could. But I don't think it occurred to anybody. You know, the, the tick debuted as sort of the mascot in the New England Comics newsletter. That's right. You know, that's where the first story was, was the New England Comics newsletter. You know, they, they just sent around to customers in the days before internet and websites and mailing lists like that. It would make sense. All right, we're going to comment on the things that people reading comic books would do. And as it became broader, it became a lot broader. It just became a goofy superhero parody. Because even when you get up to the Patrick Warburton series, you know, what was that, 2001, 2002? Yeah. So, I mean, at that point, what did you have? X-Men? The first Spider-Man, I don't think, was even out. The, the cartoon? No, the movie. Oh, the movie. No, the movie didn't come out until, yeah, 2001, I want to say. Yeah, and certainly there was no <laughs> there was no concept among the non-comic reading world of, oh, you can have universes and stories that tie into each other and greater stories and tropes that go across all of these so, yeah, it, it would make sense writing the first few tick issues. It's like, all right, well, I'm just addressing people who are aware of this kind of storytelling, and I'll comment on that. Yeah. And unlike in 2001, or certainly the comic in another the comic, the cartoon in 1994, now you've got an audience who is almost potentially on a similar level to people who were going into comic stores in the 80s, and you can comment on what happens in the movies and trying to bring some realism into that and make it uh, a satire of that kind of thing. I think since Ben Edlund does not return my calls. <laughs> Nor will he after this show. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, look, I, I don't want to give any false impressions. Uh, yeah, New England Comics Brockton was one of my stores. I never met the guy. so <laughs> or Maybe you ran into him and you just didn't know. I don't know what he looks like. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's probably unlikely. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it's I think it has a lot of potential, but it's it's a very different kind of tone. Yeah, it's darker. Than... There's the irreverence that that drew me in when I first saw the cartoon series. When whenever I, I was watching it, and I remember this. I was I was in the living room. I was living with my mother at the time. She had this 20 inch RCA color television. Do I need to go for the Hulk thing? No. Okay. Um, but I, I mean, I'm walking by and there's. This looks like a job for bipolar bear. If I could only get out of bed, and I'm like, oh my god, what is this? <laughs> I just I stopped what I was doing for the next 23 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, look. I was aware the cartoon was coming out. Yeah, you know, at the time I watched it from the first episode. Now, this one I should have on DVD. I don't understand why I never bought that. It's a good question. But well, no, actually, no. I, I know why it did because just rereading the first 13 issues. Because New England Comics has come out with big phone book trades of all the major runs. Mm. And I've only bought the first two. Because, it, yeah, it turns out the original Edlin ones are the ones that really rang strongest with me. Mm. That first arc I'll put up as awesome superhero satire. It was very quickly after that it started to become more broadly humored. It was yeah. right after that you start getting... I think my battle cry will become Spoon. <laughs> and as much as I like the Chairface Chippendale arc... Yeah. You know, compare that to Oedipus in the, the Night of Too Many Ninjas. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, yeah. It's I, already starting to become broader and still funny. Yeah. And I still liked it, but I, I kind of, I don't want to say checked out because I liked the cartoon. I liked the live action show, but it, it wasn't as powerful to me as those first few issues. 
Yeah, which which makes me wonder, are they going to, if this makes it through pilot season, you know, will it hold on to this level of darker reverence through whatever whole series is put together? I mean, I would certainly hope so, because it's right now, superheroes in popular culture are ripe for that kind of old school satire. Yeah. Because I don't think there really is anything right now. Arguably the Deadpool movie last February. Yeah, I mean, that's possible, but I mean, the building of cinematic universes and, you know, he could just easily <laughs> build <laughs> stupid teams and have people split off. I mean, my God, he could do a civil war. <laughs> a civil war, you say? Uh, don't look at me like I'm, <laughs> I am too hungover to deal, <laughs> deal with your shenanigans. <laughs> I can't. My malarkey. <laughs> not even supposed to be here today. <laughs> Well, where are you supposed to be then? <laughs> uh, probably the hospital at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Do we have a, a lot more to say on this? I, it's it's a tough thing because it's a 30-minute episode and you're trying to compare it to what ultimately was just kind of truncated runs. Even looking back at the original comic books, there are references in there. That that book would come out like every nine or ten months. Yeah. Ben Edlund was doing it. I think he was a college student. So I, in between everything else in his life. I think it was crafted well. I think if you are a fan of the comic book or either of the old series, particularly the cartoon, you're going to find a lot to like here. You will also find some Easter eggs that will, if you are familiar with the property, um, you go, oh, I know what that's from. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's a, a reference, for example, in one of, Tick's speeches to um, a warm loaf of bread. And if you're a Tick fan, you'll know what that was. So, <laughs> See, fighting even... a warm loaf of bread. Okay. So, um, the, I think if you are a fan of, of properties like Deadpool and you are not familiar with the Tick, you will like the Tick. I think if you are not familiar with anything at all and are just looking for something funny and dark, you will like this. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a dark, if you're looking for the goofy, there's precious little of it. Yeah. If you were a fan of, you know, oh, where's Dinosaur Neil and the <laughs> wild mustache hair? Oh, God. You're going to get an eight-minute conversation between Arthur and his sister about whether or not he's taking his medication. And yeah. And uh, that may not be what you're looking for. Well, another thing for, for me, I liked right out of the gate that Dot was beefed up. She wasn't just vehicle transportation for Arthur. <laughs> Uh, what she provided the bobcat that was very important for their for their first trip to New York, where where Arthur met Barry Hubris. That's right. <laughs> However, she in this is an EMT, and she the idea is to set up like how much more competent she is, despite having had similar tragedy in her past, and how she's persevered and and uh, is resilient in the face of that versus Arthur, who is now seemingly mentally ill and having difficulty holding down a job and housing and coping with the world. Yeah, and he doesn't have any superhero equipment <laughs> in his apartment. No. And that's straight from the comic book, actually. Yeah, yeah. The, they do go through, if you're familiar with the comic book, the the first time the tick comes to Arthur's apartment, he's convinced that there has to be a, a, a superhero secret lair in there. So he's like breaking things, trying to figure out what trigger will, will make everything come to life. Yeah. And the sad thing is that's straight from Spider-Man and his amazing It friends. is. It is. Although it, it, I giggled at the destruction of a really cheap $30 halogen lamp that ended up taking place in this. I'm like, I had that lamp. We all had that we lamp. We all had that lamp in comic. <laughs> we all had that lamp. And and they built it just the same way. It, it never stood up straight. It was always slightly to the right. Like it would just like you tried screwing it into the base, 
and it would never be straight. <laughs> well, I don't think props put their greatest craftsmen on the project of recreate the cheap lamp. They probably bought the cheap fucking lamp at Walmart. Yeah, but you'd figure that you know they could make it be straight. Nobody it, can make it be straight. It's not even in a world of superheroes. That lamp is fuck sword from day one. <laughs> you know, you plant corn, you get corn. And, you the, and I'm lamp, pretty sure you get lamp. I'm pretty sure it was the old old one too, because the first uh, iteration of that lamp didn't have the uh, later ones had sort of a, a safety cage over the top because halogen lights burn so hot that if it got if anything got on the light bulb itself, you would have insta fire. <laughs> And and uh, the earlier ones didn't have that, which is how they learned Instafire. <laughs> and that's the one that Arthur had. <laughs> you just want to suck the joy out of everything. No, I had that lamp. <laughs> Your halogen lamp had the, had the safety cage. Is that the same lamp I had? Yeah, the black want, one. I don't want to talk about lamps anymore. It's a comic book show, for fuck's sake. We've done five minutes on fucking lamps. The, the 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 lamp. How do you put the lamp together? Why does why does the? Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't know how this machine worked. Nobody knows how the lamp works. It doesn't. Instafire. Hi, welcome to Crisis on Infinite Lamps. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda, and today we're going to talk about halogen lamps and why you shouldn't have one in your house. It's a safety hazard, folks. Now put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. <laughs> Oh, maybe we should have punted on this week's show. No, no. People, here's the thing. Go go to your, your computers, your televisions, if they have TiVo interface that pull in all the cool things, um, and, and, and watch this show and then go and vote for it on Amazon. This needs to be in our lives. Make uh, this happen. We both really enjoy it. Let's, let's talk for a minute about the, the tick. How did, uh, what's his face? A bunch of a-holes. Uh, how do you think he did as the tick? Because the, the tricky part is Patrick Warburton was so fucking... He was. He was. the tick. And I don't, I think this guy did well. I think his speeches were pretty good, but it's just, it's not quite. Well, we haven't seen him do anything outside of show up yet. Like he, he does a, an over narration at the beginning where it led into the age of superheroes and, and the precipitating event that, that was the dawn of superheroes right. on earth. And then we see him interact with Arthur. In a way that's just sort of like, hey, we're all here to be superheroes. Great. Let's go do this. <laughs> um, and then we see him show up at the apartment. So, I mean, for, for what he was given, I think there were a couple of moments that were kind of obviously 80 yard. And, and I would imagine it's difficult to carry off that speech. <laughs> Probably. But I think he had the tone of it right. I think the whole that's sort of the whole point, though, when you first meet the tick, there's nothing there. There's no there there. All he is is a destruction machine with his heart kind of in the right place. Yeah, it's uh, it's his destiny to save the city. Why? Reasons. This is what yeah. I do, and this yeah. is all I want to do. And the costume, I don't know, It's when the 2001-2002 show came out, I'm like, no, you can't just show the tick's face. You need the big bug eyes. And I'm, I'm not sure this costume is even as good as the costume was in It's in got that, that weird texture. Like everything superhero costume oriented has that weird scaly texture. I don't, I don't know. Am, oh, am it's all straight to, from Under Armour. Yeah. I don't know if I'm supposed to like run my fingers across it and like read Braille. Like there's, <laughs> there's weirdness on, on, if you're running your hands across a superhero's unitard and you feel bumps, newsflash, that's not Braille. 
it does take you out of it slightly because you wonder how much cornstarch he had to dust himself with in order to get the thing on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, I can see that. But beyond that, I mean, they they got other details right. The the antennae are articulated <laughs> and move independently of of him as an actor. <laughs> yeah, which which is important, and that's something I know they worked hard on on the original TV show with because. Uh, it's weird in the comic book you don't get as much of a sense of it because you know hey static, but it's become really important as it has moved into other media. Yeah, and and while he didn't have like the big bug eyes, he did have big vacant fucking eyes, which kind of I think is is sort of the intention. Well, that's probably the Adderall that the actor was. On. I don't. <laughs> No, I think that was he was he was, you know, in lieu of having that as part as part of the costume piece. I think he was very purposefully in a big fucking happy vacant expression which you know is what you can say the the cartoon looked like or the 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 comic looked like yeah but the particular statement where the tick said you know i'm well whether it was did was it the tick or was it the voice in the wall that said i'm who you want to be yeah i I think that was i think the tick said that yeah i think that was kind of interesting for this kind of story and that yeah arthur is clearly tortured which is weird for a fucking tick show that <laughs> number one, that Arthur is the main protagonist and number two, that he's just this tortured guy who wants to act and can't figure out how to do it and takes his medication. Although clearly he was off his medication for this to start. It we does, got the very explicit pulling it out of the trash. His, his speech to Arthur does go a little off track versus what was in the, the comic book and in the original cartoon series. And does, again, beg the question, is this a figment of Arthur's imagination? Because he'll say, yeah, I am who you want to be, and and you know, destiny is calling you, and destiny thinks you make a better door than a window, and <laughs> you open that door and walk through over here to me. <laughs> yeah, that particular actor and the characterization there is as close to the original cartoon and everything that, that you'll probably find. And probably, I get the sense with a certain amount of the, the extra Certain amount of gravitas, I guess, to, to all of it that we may see more of the original few issues of the comic book. Yeah. Cause that's the other weird thing. Going back to the really first couple appearances of Arthur, he was never, he was not supposed to be a goofball. He was the smart one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he was just doing it because initially he was bored and exciting things happened. They pathetic Arthur up very quickly after that. Yeah, whereas here out of the gate he is also he's smart and he's pathetic. <laughs> um in his first encounter with the tick, um the tick is like, "Ah, right, we're going to go down there and we're we're going to get the bad guys." He's like, "I think we need to do this little finesse." And that's when the tick sort of connects with him like, "There's something going on in those those eyes." I, uh, like, <laughs> and then afterwards when when Arthur has gone back to his apartment and the tick is still pacing around trying to figure out what to do, like, "Finesse, I have to treat this with finesse." <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess that's another possible indication. The tick didn't go into action until Arthur was asleep. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the, the whole weird thing of is the tick even real or not is really intriguing to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go watch the thing on Amazon Prime. It's look, if you're if you're a huge fan of the cartoon and that's the entirety of, you know, the cartoon and the Patrick Warburton uh show and that's the entirety of your exposure to the tick. Uh, this might rub you a little weird because th- this ain't that. I'm wondering if the series gets picked up, if we're going to see um, Deflator Mouse or if we're going to see Batman Well. 
if I don't see Batman well, we riot. <laughs> With God as my witness. I realize this is trying to be a different kind of show, but I want my fucking Batman well. Batman well is so much better than Deflator Mouse, I can't even describe it. <laughs> Number one, just down to the fucking name. But yes, no Batman well, there's rioting in the streets. Okay. <laughs> All right. As soon as I have some... As soon as I have some energy, because today, clearly, I do not have it. Team Batman well. Got it. <laughs> Indeed. And I want I want American made, too. I, I'm also not entirely sure we're going to see that. I, I think they. I think I read something to the effect that we're going to see something like, like Liberty Maiden or some, some other name. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's weird, because everybody involved in the 2001 show seems to be, at least at a, a production level, seems to be involved. Patrick Warburton was a producer on this. Barry Sonnenfeld who, uh, I don't know that he was the showrunner on the original Tick, but was like the executive producer. He was involved in this. Okay. So if there are rights issues in some of these names... Yeah, that's a good uh, question. I, I don't know where they would come from, but... I don't know. Batman Well is the best name in any superhero <laughs> parody ever. I demand Batman Well. <laughs> I insist upon it. <laughs> okay. If not Batman Well... You know, I'm hungover too. That's also, just not cool. I'm sorry. That, that was... Uh, that, that was not a thing I should have done. So, yes, once again, it's Amazon.com slash pilot season. And, yeah, you don't need to have uh, an Amazon Prime account to watch the pilot. No. So, yeah. if you so got, They'll try to sell you one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it'll try like hell to sell you one. Don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Because on nights like last night, it's the first thing I do when I wake up is like, okay, let me look at Amazon. What's coming this week? I've what done, did I buy drunk? Yeah. <laughs> I've got more weird shit and odd pens. It just stuff arrives at my house. You just need to learn to have a wish list. I, I've started to sublimate my desire to buy things randomly by saying, I'm going to put it in the wish list and I'm going to think about it. Uh, yeah, it doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I'm drunk, I want my shit and I want it now. Okay. I can't help it. <laughs> are we done with the tick? I think we are for right now until until it gets hopefully picked up. So, yeah, let's talk about a few comics. Okay. We've got like, you want to do all three? Let's do all three. Unlike the last few weeks where he had a wealth of other material, yeah, this week, yeah, again, just due to weird circumstances. And again, I said, I warned you, keep your expectations reasonable for this episode. For God's sake. Rob, Destiny is calling you and saying that you, you, sir, are here to have an awesome show and you make a better door than a window. So why don't you open that door and walk through over here to me and have an awesome show? I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> Can't help you. <laughs> uh, which which book do you want to talk about first? <laughs> Destiny has her hand up in your puppet and wants you to have an awesome show. That sounded filthy. Yeah, it sounded <laughs> filthy when the tick said it. It's my density, dude. <laughs> Jesus, Christ. looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. I'm just gonna let the board do the rest of the show. <laughs> Why don't we start with Kingsway West? We, you know, since we're talking about a television show made on an independent comics property, let's seg into the independent uh, All right. property. So yes, uh, it's a Dark Horse comic, Kingsway West number one, written by Greg Pak, uh, art by uh, Mirko Kolak. What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> Mirko yes. Kolak, if that is his or her real name. What, do you think they're in witness protection? Uh, anything possible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my first note here is steampunk unforgiven meets big trouble in little China without the comedy. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically, that's what I took from this book. That doesn't make it a bad thing, but if you have to break it down to a bullet, that's the bullet that I think is here. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, this is a weird alternate 
past for the geographic mass that in our time becomes the United States of America. Yes, the the overall concept is imagine if the gold rush was instead, I, I don't know, what's some magic shit from Harry Potter? <laughs> it's like magic rocks that make magic shit happen and people mutate and stuff. Well, it's it's like, you know how there's there's different flavors of kryptonite? Uh, yes. Okay, so in this... I have read comic books in okay. the past. So in this particular case, there's gold, but there's also magical red gold, and that's something that can be mined for, and and whoever has the red gold has the power, because magic exists in this universe. Okay, so it's basically like the red matter in the first uh, 2009 Star Trek movie. Sure. It is MacGuffin. Yes. And it is reason <laughs> that stuff happens. Yes. It is the power source behind steampunk. Yes. We'll just call it that. Yes. All right. Uh, so we've got warring factions that include the Chinese, who apparently run the West <laughs> in this in this particular universe. Well, I mean, if you look back at American history with the building of the railroads, there would have been a certain percentage of Chinese people there. And if magic stuff came out, why not bail on the railroads and mine the magic shit? Sure, um, but there's an actual ruler who who is of Chinese extraction as opposed to working for a white person, which is more likely what you would find <laughs> in our history. <laughs> in our history, it was just pure rude gold that was pulled out of the hills. Yeah. So, And then there um, is also the Mexican faction who also want the gold and is at war with the Chinese. And then there are the white people from the United States of New York. <laughs> exactly. And they're going to build a wall, a beautiful wall, a big, beautiful... And I'm make just, I'm just pace picante or something. Fuck up. I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna stop talking, uh, which is good for radio. <laughs> I'm just gonna keep my mouth shut. This is the Amanda show now. Oh God, don't do that to everybody. <laughs> Jesus, I'll talk about leakage. Um, <laughs> so we have um, our protagonist. His name is Kingsway Law, and he is a rebel who had been with the Chinese and is now trying to be a freelander, which is, you know, a rebel who is not part of any faction. And uh, a rebel a... who's not part of any faction is not a rebel. I don't know. It's a, he, he's, he's trying to put the war behind him for the love of a good woman. Yeah, who he meets as he's on the run. He, <laughs> he um, I guess, is, is quite the... Unlike Jack Burton, he actually can wield a gun and shoot and hit things that he's shooting at. Oh, definitely. Look, when I when I say steampunk, when I bring up Unforgiven and Big Trouble in Little China, Kingsway is William Money. Yeah. And I think a lot of what Pack does here for his characterization, because he's got to do a lot of world building here. And I think he does it generally pretty well. There are some times you can see him moving behind the curtain and yeah. certain things are done with captions and with kind of stilted dialogue. But for the most part... It's action and legitimate dialogue that sort of builds the world for you. Sure. But I think what he does with some of Kingsway's characterization is rely on the cultural shorthand of the man with no name, particularly William Money from Unforgiven. Sure. Put this character in similar situations and you've got other character work that fills in the gaps for you, which is a great way to build character very quickly. I hope to see something a little more than just sort of the shorthand of former gunslinger meets woman, turns over a new leaf, promises to be good, goes right back to gunslinging when she's, she's gone. seemingly killed, yeah. Right. So I'm hoping to get more to fill in, but for a first issue of I need to know who this person is and have a reason to give a shit about them, fine. Use some sure. of the shorthand from these classic movies. I'm okay with that. 
Yeah, so he encounters um, bounty hunters who want him dead. He encounters a woman with whom he falls in love. Uh, he loses the woman with whom he falls in love, all in all in a very few <laughs> pages. Right. And uh, then he meets another woman who has a dragon. As one does. As one does. And she is looking for him. Yes. We're not sure why. Well, well we know that she has found, apparently, or she's working with people who have found a whole mine full of red gold. And everybody wants to get their fingers on it. So she's trying to keep it away from the Chinese. She's trying to keep it away from the United States of New York. Look, it's that kind of story, the retired gunslinger coming back for right or wrong or whatever reasons. Pac's really covering the bases. It's uh, You could do it for money or for your prior crew or gang or army or for your woman or whatever. He's he's covering all of it. To It's the old, oh, they pulled me back in. Yes. Just and, when I thought I was out. <laughs> yeah. Characterization-wise, like I said, he fills in the gaps with with movies and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know, when it comes to world building, you know, there's a lot that's in here from this red matter, <laughs> red gold. Yeah, no, it's it, there's a lot packed into this book. So if you're looking for something a little different, if you like fantasy stories, if you like westerns, there's there's a lot in this book that you will like. Yeah, it's uh, look, I'm a sucker for a good western. There aren't too many good ones mm -hmm. uh and look i like big trouble in little china and uh, when i say big trouble in little china the the big chinese magic that you get from that movie you get in this yes not the goofball characterization there's, there's no precious, there's no egg chen yeah there's precious little humor in the book it, <laughs> it's a fun read but it's not a larf riot no look i can reasonably tolerate steampunk so all right that's good <laughs> so yeah I'm, I'm in on this for a little while this is this is a pretty good one all right Next book. Yes. Which one are we doing? Ulysses 1 from Civil War. Yes. Civil War Ulysses 1, written by Al Ewing, art by Carl Kessel. Yeah. I mean, when I mentioned I was picking this book up that I listed it, I think you and I both thought, you know, all right, we're finally going to get to see more of Ulysses and what makes him tick and yep. figure out what this character is about. Anything beyond him just being a plot device for Civil War to happen. And what we got was, I'm learning a lot about Karnak. Yeah. We don't... <laughs> We don't learn shit about Ulysses <laughs> in this book. That doesn't make it a bad book. No. But if you're picking it up hoping for those gaps to be filled in, they're not so far. Yeah, this yeah. book shows off Karnak far more than it does Ulysses. Karnak is an inhuman, if you are not familiar, who had a title that had been uh, written by Warren Ellis for a bit. And in this book, I, I did wonder if Ewing was just sort of channeling Ellis as Karnak, because oh. there's a grumpy old man quality going on here. <laughs> he, he absolutely was. I, I love Al Ewing's writing, but Al Ewing clearly, I don't want to say idolizes Warren Ellis, but appreciates Warren Ellis. Yes. You know, Al Ewing's the guy who made Next Wave part of official Marvel continuity. God bless him. Exactly. I'm fine with that. <laughs> clearly, and look at what he's doing with the Ultimates, which is old school late 90s, early 2000s, authority-style, widescreen comics. Mm -hmm. There's clearly a Warren Ellis influence on Al Ewing, and that's okay. That's okay. Although uh, now I'm really hopeful, since he's made Next Wave canon, that perhaps the big bad at the end of Civil War II will be Broccoli People. <laughs> no, it'll be <laughs> fucking Four Bush Man. <laughs> That'd be, be fine. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see that. I don't think we're going to see that. It'd be nice, but to me it's clearly a case, yeah, Warren Ellis has written Karnak, so Ewing... 
would probably at the very least show more affinity to that character since mm-hmm. it was he's got hooks to a writer that he likes. Right. And he's solid with Karnak. He writes it like Warren Ellis would. It's mm-hmm. Ellis-style dialogue. You know, fucking, uh, I wrote a couple down, flesh sack of bones and putrid organs and just disgusting characters saying, am I not beautiful? That could come straight from Stormwatch <laughs> in the late 90s. I'm sorry, flesh sack of... Flesh sack of bones and putrid organs. I think that's just how Ellis greets people at the door if they find their way to his house. It's possible. Let's let's not go. <laughs> I, I don't need an ass full of fucking bird shot or rock salt or anything to find out. Yeah, he makes Karnak heartless and violent with that whole torture thing and how he says, oh, on TV, I'd be an anti-hero and you'd love me, but really he's a monster. And But yeah, it's this is a Karnak book. It's not a Ulysses book. Ulysses gets exactly the same characterization he's got in a few of the other books where we spent more more time with him than he's in the background holding his head and screaming, ah, yeah, monsters! He's a, it's a plot device to move exposition along. Yeah, he's a nice kid who has visions and is maybe in over his head. But that, right. that's all we get. That's fine. It establishes that no matter what else happens in Civil War, he's not a villain, whether he's influencing what he sees in, in involuntarily it's everything we've seen is he's not a bad guy he's just maybe in over his head and Karnak's thing is he he sees the the faults and the flaws in in everyone so here's one thing i wonder about in terms of the beginning of a reveal of what we know about ulysses when he does have that whole monologue about i enjoy the feeling of power and and Ulysses calls him a, a psycho and he says, you know, if this was television, you'd say I'm tough, that I get, I get things done. In the human world, you'd call me a hero. And we have already the fact that Tony Stark has demonstrated that the way Ulysses' power works is an algorithm and it can be a biased algorithm. If this is what he thinks, is, is that you need tough people to be heroes and get things done and, and violence and power and all of that. Maybe we're beginning to see the, the beginning of Ulysses' bias. It's possible if the story moves in that direction. I, I really much more got the sense from this that I don't think he likes Karnak. I think he thinks he's legitimately a monster. I think he went along with, okay, I'll go into the tower with the Magister because that's what I'm supposed to do. Well, and also he genuinely wants to learn more about how his power works. His power frightens him terribly. But he also has, right along, demonstrated a real lack of awareness about himself even before he got his powers. So, again, this is where I'm wondering, since Karnak made a point of saying to each of the other Inhumans who showed up with him like what each of their faults and flaws were, I wonder if this is Karnak beginning to tell Ulysses what his faults and flaws are. It's possible. And I'd I'd like to see that, if only to get more of a sense of Ulysses. Because right now... As far as I'm concerned, he's still just a MacGuffin. Yeah. He is there to have visions that are correct or not so that Captain Marvel and Iron Man can punch on each other for a while. Right. That's all there is to this character at this point. I, I don't... Fine. It, it makes him a perfectly good plot device. He could be, have been replaced with a computer or with one of the floating kids from Minority Report, <laughs> you know, or the stone tablets that write themselves. It doesn't make a compelling character. Right. And he could have been replaced with a, a rock that fell from the sky that if you touch it, you would get visions. Yeah. <laughs> Which would have been fine. But again, as a plot device, he's fine. As a character, he kind of sucks. Yeah. And th- this book does nothing to change that. No. Future issues might. Perhaps. But 
I mean, seriously, I, I stopped and thought about it. I did the old red letter media. Let's, all right, think about this character. We're, we're three months into Civil War now. We first saw Ulysses in a free comic book day issue. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, basically all of May, all of June. all of, We're almost four months into Civil War, too. First thing we see him do is attempt to hit on a woman so as to establish the not gay. And then... Well, <laughs> it's important. I guess. Well, no, because I, I was thinking about because I think this came up in a red letter media. Like <laughs> when they when they do that with a character like out of the gate, it's like well, the first thing you need to learn about this character is that they are not gay. <laughs> okay, fair enough. That's true. And then from there, we learn that he's a milk toast and easily overwhelmed, and that's when he has his first vision after the the Terrigen mists go through. All right, so we know he's not gay. Yeah, that's basically. And we know that he's, you know, we know again that he he reacts um, when he's overwhelmed and under stress, which is what Karnak sort of hypothesized and proves in the course of this book. And it, it seems to be. But what does he want? It's a good question. Yeah. I, I, I shook my head, realizing that the listeners don't hear me shaking my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever he wants, why does he want it? No fucking idea. Yeah. It's what's in his way. Does he want, does he want to know more about himself and how his powers work because people are telling him that he should or because it's what he really wants? I don't have a clear sense of that. Yeah. It's the best I've got is he's a character that maybe, maybe just goes with the flow and does what he thinks he's supposed to do. But I can't really say that with any authority. No, but, and even if he, if, even if he is the sort that goes along to get along, as, as the saying goes, uh, we, we need more action and less talk to, to prove that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> what's his real name? It's a good question. I, I don't remember. I know it was introduced in that, It may the first name may have been introduced in that free comic maybe. day book. Yeah. No, I'm sure it was, but I, I can't remember it. Yeah. Yeah, th- this is not a character. Ulysses is a fucking cipher. And it's, the more we talk about it, the more it's it's bothering me because this is the thing that is bringing heroes to blows. While I generally think Civil War Two is better than Civil War or has been so far, mm-hmm. at least Mark Millar was smart enough. It's like, let's do the shorthand of, yeah, it, it, heroes blew up a bus full of kids. That's a motivator. That's understandable to put things into motion. That yeah. Here, there's this dude we don't know, Dunn says stuff. Yeah, I, we don't know a lot about him. You can make a hypothesis that he generally has been beneath the notice of all and that perhaps because of that he craves attention and now that he has it he wants to do whatever it takes to please others to continue to get that attention but we don't know and he could be a raving megalomaniac with a closet meth habit exactly and a, we don't frantic, know. <laughs> and a frantic crying masturbator we don't have a clue we're just pulling shit out of our ass we I don't think, know anything about this character I think if it was the latter karnak definitely would have brought that up because that <laughs> that would have stressed him out a lot sooner i think he'd have been less grossed out by the lock dude who had a hole in his hand he said <laughs> wow that would really make things a lot simpler <laughs> you don't have to use a sock damn <laughs> Terrigen so, Mist didn't do that for me. So it's it's weird. I, I had fun reading this comic book, but I had fun reading it sort of in a secondhand way of it, it's Al Ewing getting his full Ellis on, and clearly he has a blast doing that. Mm. Uh, it, it works better for me when he does it with books like The Ultimates because, yeah, that kind of Warren Ellis we don't have too much anymore. Right. But Karnak, that just came out. That's still pretty new. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had fun watching him go full Ellis, but... 
I bought this because it's like, all right, finally, we'll learn something, something about Ulysses. We didn't. I no. don't know a fucking thing about the guy. No, but I think also Karnak is doing this very purposefully to draw Ulysses along so that we learn along with Ulysses about Ulysses. This is he's Mr. Miyagiing him. And he's that, not going to teach him directly how to do crane kick. <laughs> and that's possible. You know, look, watching Ewing have fun, that'll bring me back for for another. I'll I'll read the thing just for that. But it's not really what I wanted from this. Ewing, like I said, Ewing's become one of my favorite Marvel writers, partially because he recalls that old school Ellis that you just, you know, strange kisses. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Authority that you don't see as much anymore. Let's face it, he's too fucking busy. There's not that many <laughs> books coming out. Yeah, none of that has a goddamn thing to do with Ulysses. They should have just called this Karnak Civil War, for Christ's sake, at this point. Well, no, but again, I think it's going to come down to, because his title in this is Magister, which is teacher. Um, and he's going to, teach Ulysses who Ulysses is, which means that we, the reader, are going to learn along with Ulysses because Ulysses doesn't know who Ulysses is. And I'm willing to take that on faith at this point. Like I said, I'll I'll go with the flow for right now because, hey, Al Ewing's having fun, and when Al Ewing has fun, I tend to have fun. But yeah, if, if you're getting this book to think, oh, finally, maybe we'll learn what's behind this kid nothing <laughs> hello my name is ulysses and on my summer vacation i was hit with the terrigen mists <laughs> yes and now i see the future and everything scares me <laughs> or it doesn't it depends on what book i'm in <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> i i can't control my powers except for the books where i'm learning to control it and the other books where i have control over it already yeah in which i referenced that i've worked with karnak and in this book i'm working with karnak <laughs> oh Event comics, everybody. Event comics. It's uh, <laughs> there's internal logic, but you gotta want it. Yep. You gotta hunt for it. So I I don't know. Is that a a buy? Don't buy. Read. I, I think guess, if you like Al Ewing, it's yeah, a buy. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. But but yeah, it's be aware of what you're buying in this case. Yes. Definitely. All right. Want to do one more? This one is, more. All right. This is actually going to be a reasonably length show oh for a change. Oh my god. Well, that's because I can barely hold myself upright. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was able to, again, the, the strongest preparation I could handle today was watch funny show. Ooh, show darker than funny than I thought. Okay, write some notes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I want that to get picked up as a series. I, I need to know what happens next because the last thing, spoilers, we're talking about the tick again. Um, the last thing we see is that the, the henchmen that, Tick broke in on, realized that, uh, realized where Arthur lives, and Arthur is in the process of putting on the moth suit for the first time, just as the the henchmen kick in the door and seemingly appear to be shooting at him. Yeah, but I don't even consider that a cliffhanger because uh, one of the henchmen earlier on said very flat out, "No, the suit's completely bulletproof." And they added a little question of, you know, oh, who wants to test that to be for sure? Yeah, good. Yeah, but Arthur doesn't know that it's bulletproof. And Arthur, like... He does. He he heard it with a shotgun mic. Did he? Yeah. Okay. But he also is Arthur. So what what's going to happen? That's... <laughs> well, first he'll pee. <laughs> then I hope it's a slip suit. Then perhaps he'll... <laughs> not, not a slip suit. Still suit. Still suit. I always screw that up. Why do I screw that up? Don't get your doing wrong on this show. I'll take you to school. <laughs> I don't have the you energy. You can barely to hold yourself slow. up. <laughs> but I always do that. Like that that's like a consistent like some people spell like words wrong consistently. I always just get that word wrong and I don't know why. 
could be brain damage. It from could drinking. be brain damage. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> All right, back to comics. Back one to more comics. comics. <laughs> Talk about one more comic. Yeah, this is one we talked about a, a few times. Well, not this particular issue, but uh, this title uh, since Rebirth. Uh, Detective Comics, uh, 939, written by James Tinney and the Fourth, art by Eddie Barrows and Eber Ferreira. What kind of parents would name their kid that? Um, yeah. It's, Holy crap, this is a good book. I'm just going to cut to that. Yeah, it's weird. As, as a guy who cut his Batman teeth for the most part on Frank Miller in the 80s, and a guy who called the 800 number to kill Robin in 1988. <laughs> Jason Todd. Jason, well, yeah, Jason Todd, because it's, you know, it's 16 years old. It's like, there's no way Batman would have a kid. Batman works alone. Batman would never have a child with him. I shouldn't like this. This is a giant fucking Batman family book. Yeah. It's got spoiler and fucking Clayface in it, for Christ's sake. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is, yeah, well, it's not perfect, and this is not a perfect issue. It's still really, really fucking good. It really is. There, There is, in this one, in a almost heavy-handed sense, the whole theme of family. Batman has drawn the ire for some time of Jacob Kane, who is Kate Kane's father. Right. And he is a military guy, and he believes that Batman should be weaponized and being used in the purpose of defending... The United States, which is something Batman would never do. He's an independent contractor. He's not working for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he is not. <laughs> um, and this is always frustrated. Uh, he, Jacob Kane has always been frustrated with the Wayne family in general because he feels that their, their purposes and, and aim have always run counter to what is best for all and have, are very selfish motives. Yeah, which. <laughs> That's one of the things that doesn't necessarily ring true to me with the long-term overarching characterization of Thomas Wayne as a philanthropist who became a doctor despite being independently wealthy to help people. We'll also figure it's just a long-standing thing because in, in the history of Gotham has been established over some time, the Canes and the Waynes didn't get along. They were, they were founding pillar families of Gotham and they never got along. Was it's like a Capulet Montague thing? <laughs> I told you not to bring Shakespeare into this fucking show. Yes, but they established over the course of 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 this story, not this particular issue, that it was a real scandal that Martha Kane ran off with Thomas Wayne. Oh, I know, and yeah, if I believe that, <laughs> if I believe that Thomas Wayne got my sister killed, I would also become pissy. <laughs> I would also be like, where's this sister I never heard of before? But that's a whole different thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But yeah, all right. You, you've got a point. But So they're not, he, he's, he's not approaching this rationally. He's, he's got long standing anti, anti feelings. <laughs> anti Wayne feelings. Thank you. Anti Wayne feelings that have just been drilled into him because family history. Yes. And when the career military officer looks intransigent, uh, in is that a word? Sure. Uh, okay. We'll call that a word. Intransigent, I think. Uh, sure. Uh, compared to the man who dresses like a bat. <laughs> then, then you've, you've got some interesting things going on at the script level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Part of what works for me, not just in this issue, but in, in the entire arc since Detective Comics came back after Rebirth is, Tinian has conflicts going in like three, four, five different directions, mm. which just makes for good drama no matter where you look. You've got Red Robin trying to decide whether to leave Batman behind to go to school. You've got Batwoman 
mistrusting Batman and mistrusting her father and trying to figure out whose motives are right or wrong. You've got Red Robin and you, another Ulysses. <laughs> Ulysses the hacker, they're butting heads and, you know, everybody's sort of at this point against Kane and just Clayface himself trying to figure out how to be a better person. Yeah. And then eventually just saying, fuck it, I'm a monster, run. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting in terms of the idea of is somebody behaving in a way that is self-serving or, or not. There's, there's been this long-standing rumor since Rebirth kicked off that Dan Dio is trying to kill off Tim Drake. <laughs> <laughs> so we we see Tim as Red Robin treating the whole situation with these bat drones that Kane has created and that are being programmed by this Ulysses that is not Ulysses from the other book. Uh, <laughs> And no, this one has clearer characterization. Clearer characterization. I mean, and that motive come, and that, wants. And that comes down to you know Asperger's dildo, but still, that's kind of a characterization. <laughs> yeah, and and Tim seeing this as a math problem to be solved, and so is what he's about to do selfish because he thinks he can take this on because math, or is it selfless because he is putting himself on the line as a singleton player for the purposes of saving his family and the city. Ultimately, the <laughs> it, it, it'll come down to results. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, if you win, you're a hero. <laughs> if you well, lose... if he wins, though, then he still has to deal with the aftermath of the um, what he's putting his family through. What the Batman family? Yeah. I, yeah, because because you know at, at the end of this, uh, Stephanie, the spoiler, and Batman are freaking out that Tim is about to be you know beset upon by hundreds and hundreds of drones. Well, of course they're freaking. Out. They would freak out over that. Well, and Batman in particular, because Batman would see this as well, you didn't clear this through me. Yeah, but Batman's an asshole. <laughs> that's part of Batman's. But you know that that's going to create a rift. Of, <laughs> of course it will, but it won't be a permanent rift. <laughs> Particularly if he wins. it's a, Look, what's going to happen here is, this is my prediction, he's going to win, or at least be winning or not losing in time for the, the Batwing or Batman to show up and actually assist. And yeah, there'll be a certain amount of conflict there, but we had Red Robin making the decision earlier in this issue, uh, you know what, uh, yes, my design, my architecture, that I want to go to school and pursue that. Yeah. Well, that's fine and good, but none of that allows you to use your skills to face off against 200 heavily armed drones. Although there's also a part of me that thinks Tim knows that he may not win or, or, or he might win, but he needs to create this rift because then it will be easier to leave Batman. Because there's a whole conversation between him and Stephanie earlier in the book. You know, you haven't told Batman yet that you're leaving to go to Ivy University. No, I, I thought it would be a distraction, a distraction or a disappointment. Like, <laughs> They are not sending Tim Drake off to fucking college. They're not going to do it. I, I read Batman family books in the 70s when I was a kid, and the backup story was always, you know, oh, Robin in college, and Batgirl was there, and they sucked. They were terrible fucking stories. <laughs> you can't just drop Robin into – where are you going to drop him? Burlington, Vermont? I'm going to fight crime on Church Street. Bullshit. <laughs> There's no crime on Church Street. Well, he's going to the Ivy College. It's probably Princeton. Oh, okay. just over the bridge. That's a, I beat up a pot dealer. <laughs> You're a hero. <laughs> Found myself looking for a white castle. <laughs> there you go. 
they've gone to such trouble to rehabilitate the character, at least in certain ways. I never thought the character was terrible after the new 52, but to bring him back more to what he was before Rebirth, mm. I can't imagine they'd do all that and then say, okay, yep, and now you're the Robin in college. Perhaps. But they've, they've got a, um, an arguable s- surplus of Robins right now. So <laughs> They do, but they can't drop him in the Teen Titans because Damien's going to be in the Teen Titans. Right. Damien, I suppose, could come back and be part of this. Christ, I hope not. I hate I Damien not. Wayne. I, well, I, I don't think we're going to see Damien in the Batman books directly. I think he's going to be over off in, in Teen Titans, primarily because Scott Snyder has said he feels really uncomfortable writing Damien because of his own children. He doesn't like the idea of writing storylines that put very young children in danger. Yeah, but Damien's an asshole. Don't put him in danger. Put him in a box. I know, but Scott Snyder seems like a much nicer person than us. Oh, <laughs> Scott, no, kill him. Just kill the kid. <laughs> it, it'll be cathartic. It'll be like, wow, it's okay. Now I know that if I don't do that, my kids will be safe. I don't know. He had a whole he had a whole lengthy thing on Twitter where he was, where where people were giving him shit because they thought he didn't like Damien, and no, he's he he basically has difficulty writing such a young character in danger because he can't not picture his own children. Which I guess is a dad thing. I'm, I, I don't know. I, I hate kids and couldn't care less. Kill Damien. Just kill him. <laughs> Use a wrench. It worked for the Joker and Jason Todd. That's a crowbar. Either way, use a wrench. See? Something different. You got open ground there. So Tinian, as a as a disciple of, of Snyder, I don't think we're going to see Damien in any of these books right now. <laughs> I hope not. I hate Damien. I I know at this point I'm in the minority. There's a lot of people who say, oh, no, the character grew on me, and particularly after Batman 666, where I saw him as an adult. As bat- no, Damien's a punk. I hate him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the only time I ever like Damien is when he's in scenes with Dick Grayson because Dick Grayson is the only person that seems to be able to hold the kid in line. Well, <laughs> and there was that one great issue of Batman Incorporated where Damien was murdered. He was murdered and died. <laughs> that was all right. I like that one. <laughs> How do you really feel about Damien? I can't stand him. <laughs> See, all my right. problem is I, I, I can't read the character without like reading it in Stewie Griffin's voice. I know. You've talked about that. <laughs> See here, Batman. You damn fool! You're more useless than Aquaman! <laughs> yeah, like, I, I can see that as a thing Damien would say. Yeah. <laughs> Almost definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, alright, don't bring Damien back. Yeah, keep Red Robin around, for Christ's sake. Yes. I mean, this is the best Tim Drake that there's been in five years. Yes. And I say that there was, a, I think, the actual final finale of the New 52 Teen Titans was this week. Mm. And it was not a terrible issue. Teen Titans, it, it stayed on our polls. It yeah. kind of got weaker, and it, it was one of those books that was in our polls, and I didn't read it a lot of the time. I didn't either. The, this one was not bad. as sort of a final sign-off. And it certainly was a Tim Drake-centered issue where he came up with a plan that really put a lot of people in danger and wound up working out. Mm-hmm. And I really liked the issue. But I like this version better. <laughs> so... <laughs> And we'll we'll see where it goes. I, they they're possibly getting rid of him just as he's getting interesting. <laughs> uh, well, it is DC, so God only knows. And he's created a a bat cave that can heal itself. How cool is that? Yeah. On one hand, I want to laugh at that as being a stupid, ridiculous science fictiony idea. On the other hand, I saw a bat cave on the moon in Action Comics not too long ago. 
So I suppose you got all these kids around. If you're Batman, you got to go somewhere where there aren't kids. Fucking kids. (laughs) I'm going to go to the moon. (laughs) Go to the moon. I'm going to watch porno with blackjack, (laughs) hookers. They forget the moon. (laughs) (laughs) Go to Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, look, this is a really good issue. It's not perfect. The whole opening sequence where Kate approaches Bruce at uh, the Wayne's funeral, the flashback. And talks about how important family is. No eight-year-old has ever fucking said anything like that fucking ever. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, maybe she's like a weirdly um, mature eight-year-old. Oh, yeah, because they're everywhere. It, it didn't work. It, it didn't work for me. <laughs> I, I get why it happened to show, oh, no, there's a there's been a long-term relationship. This is not just Batman because there is the implication in this issue that, oh, maybe Batman cynically recruited Kate just to separate her as a player for her father. Which is how he's, how her father sees it, regardless of how it played out. Because what they're showing here is, like Martha Kane, now Wayne and dead. Um, yes. Here is another member of the Kane family who is willing to not buy into the longstanding animosity and to, to reach out to the Waynes as family. And she did so from a very young age. Yeah, no, I get why the scene is there. It just, I, I don't believe kids talk like that. No, generally they don't. But who knows? Maybe that's her superpower is uh, mature empathy. <laughs> that's not a superpower. That's a millstone. It, <laughs> Snyder, it, it, kill Damien. Kill him. <laughs> empathy is weak. And that's why you liked Frank Miller's and scene, yes. Yeah, the, those couple things aside of the weird architecture of the self-healing Batcave and the weird characterization of seven, eight-year-old Kate Kane. <laughs> Look, Tinian's doing a great job keeping all these characters up in the air and keeping the conflicts going in various directions and interesting, so there's constant drama that keeps the book cool. There is this undercurrent, to me at least, of impending doom of... Everybody is operating on the Batman family under the assumption that the League of Assassins is a myth. Well, there is a hint that it's not. There is. Did you did you catch the piano? Oh, I, I did catch it. And but look, we as readers know full well there's a League of Assassins. That's a thing. Well, there, this this is beyond League of Assassins. This is like League of Shadows or some shit. Like like uber myth. Okay, either way. Because we know the League of Assassins is real because that's who trained Cassandra, who is now Orphan. Which is... uh, right. So yeah, League of Shadows instead of League of Assassins. But still, we've seen it before. We know it's a real thing. So, and and they have they have an encounter on this page. Uh, yeah, there's, presumably. Yeah, there's the one guy leaving as Batgirl's trying to evacuate people who gives a shifty look. He's got the look of the shifty. <laughs> as the League of Shadows do. Yeah, as, as you would expect. Yes. So it's you know that uh, they're, they're going to operate under this and it's going to bite him in the ass. Right. So I just thought that was also a, uh, here's a minor conflict that he's already laying down, stewing in the background. So it's just, right. to me, it's it's just good writing. Did, Everybody did you, has a conflict with somebody else and that keeps it interesting. Art-wise, did you catch the homage to The Dark Knight Returns? Uh, <laughs> I did not. I did not only because if I had a nickel for every Batman panel that had a lightning bolt in the background. Okay, just saying. <laughs> It's, I, I get what you're saying. It certainly, yes, if, you know, listener, if you've bought it, yeah, look through, look for the lightning bolt. You go, okay, I know what Amanda's talking about. But no, number one, Batman swinging in the opposite direction. Number two, it's, I'm not saying it was a direct. It's, it's, a, it's a much more awkward, uh, pose. 
it's not like a butt pose. I mean, it's not no. like. <laughs> I know, but uh, I get what you're saying. No broke back going on there. I get what you're saying. It didn't leap out at me as a as a Dark Knight homage. Oh, okay. But I can see why you would say that. Okay. Sometimes a lightning bolt is just a lightning bolt. <laughs> That's so true. Truer words have never been spoken. Indeed. All right. Destiny yeah. just wants it to be a lightning bolt. <laughs> My density is lightning. <laughs> Your density? Yes. <laughs> My density. God damn it. <laughs> All right, we got anything else on Detective I think, Comics? I or? think that's it. It's a, it's a good book. If you haven't read it, read it. Go pick some up. Uh, yes, it, it's been solid since Rebirth. Again, I've, I've said it a million times. Rebirth has generally been pretty solid. I've really enjoyed it. And every time there's a hint of Mr. Oz or anything, I just uh, just keep Watchmen out of it. Let's pretend that Watchmen thing never happened. Let's all move on. Let's discard it like Pandora. <laughs> and... Then we'll be fine. Yes. Because I've really been enjoying DC in the last uh, month and a half or so, and I'd like to continue to do so. All right. For God's sake. For Rob's sanity, leave the Watchmen alone. Exactly. All right. Do we have anything else? Because I may fall over at this point. <laughs> no, I think we're good. All right. It's, uh, again, thank you for, for bearing with me in particular <laughs> this week because uh, not at 100%. But this should be the last of the on-call for a few weeks. And right now we are planning to have a show for the long United States Labor Day weekend. Uh, we'll see how drunk we get that night. We'll see how it goes. Rob, I think you you lived up to what Destiny wanted for you. This was an awesome show. It was. Uh, I think I think people you met their expectations. You exceeded as their show, expectations. As shows go, this was one. <laughs> All right, you want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right, so don't know where you found this particular uh, episode, but don't hold it against them. But either way, you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook, and you can always send us a message there, and I've been trying to do more stuff during the week, but it's facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. What are you laughing at? I was just thinking that Destiny's happy to get her hand out of your puppet because it's getting sweaty. I'll <laughs> <laughs> density, density lower to the left. <laughs> Uh, yes, Twitter, at Infinite Midlife is the handle. Uh, we are on Tumblr, uh, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. We are on iTunes, and if you'd like to get your podcast through there, do us a favor, subscribe. If you can't subscribe, give us a rating, give us a review. It does help new people find the show. If you can't subscribe, what's wrong with you? Don't uh, you like us? Please like us! Some people don't have thumbs. You never know. <laughs> don't be that guy. <laughs> Oh, so it's, lonely. I, I understand. I'm right here for Christ's sake. <laughs> All right. Uh, what are, we are on uh, Google Play. We're on Stitcher. We're on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And no matter what, you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. Did I leave anything out? I think you got everything. Oh, thank God. <laughs> if I was going to fuck anything up, it was going to be this week. <laughs> All right. Thank you for bearing with uh, with me in particular. This has been episode 126 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>